all tonight. That's my Christmas tradition. My family and I, we will sit around with uh, a mug of hot chocolate and we will watch Disney's A Christmas Carol. I think it's one of the best versions of uh, A Christmas Carol. It might be food and drink. It could be mince pies and Christmas pudding, basically anything covered in cranberry sauce. It could be uh, Christmas dinner itself, turkey, and then, of course, pigs in blankets. It could be going away and doing certain things. That might be your Christmas tradition. It might be uh, going to a Christmas market or going to uh, maybe a winter wonderland or going to see Christmas lights somewhere. It could be presents. It could be getting presents. You love getting presents, don't you? Or it might be even giving presents away and watching friends and family open their presents. And you see that look on their face as they slowly open it and realise it's another Lynx box set. (laughs) Maybe for some of you it will be the case that going to church is your Christmas tradition. And I hope it is. But a pretty universal tradition will be the music that we listen to, and not just carols, although that will maybe play a part of it, but those great old classics like A Wonderful Christmas Time by Paul McCartney, or I Wish It Could Be Christmas Every Day, or Feliz Navidad, uh, or Last Christmas by Wham. I mean, my favourite thing about Last Christmas by Wham is when I was much younger, I heard my little brother in the bathroom singing in the bath, going, Last Christmas, I gave you a card. And he genuinely thought those were the actual words. But there you go. Or it might be the case that you actually like newer Christmas songs, like All I Want for Christmas is You by Mariah Carey, or if you're like me, you'll like Taylor Swift's Christmas Tree Farm. It might be any of these songs or a mixture of all of them. But there's a song that I haven't mentioned yet, and it's a very, very famous one by John Lennon. Famously, of course, a member of the Beatles, but also a big campaigner for peace. And that was one of the messages that he was trying to communicate in this Christmas song, but war is over, and that if we want it to be, we can all just give peace a chance. But he starts this song in a very interesting way. He sings the words, So this is Christmas, and what have you done? Another year over, and a new one's just begun. And it may surprise you to hear that I want to take the words of a man who famously told the world to imagine that there was no religion. And imagine that there was no heaven and use it as a springboard for our message this morning for the next 20 minutes or so. Because there is a sense in which that at Christmas, God is asking us a very similar question. So this is Christmas. And at Christmas, you've got your traditions, you've got your nice Christmassy films, you've got your days out, you've got your presents and your nice food. But at the centre of Christmas is my son, the Lord Jesus. So this is Christmas, says God. And what have you done with my son? And this Christmas, it is vital that we have an answer to that question. We can't look to other people for that answer. We can't, uh, you know, sort of pass that question on to other people or phone a friend like you might see on some sort of game show. We can't expect our parents or our friends to have an answer for us. We must be able to answer this question ourselves. This is Christmas, and what have you done? And so to help us on our way, I want us to use the words of perhaps one of the most famous and most important people, if not in the nativity story, then perhaps in the entire world. And by the end, we will see that this little baby, born in a manger, is deserving of praise and all of our love. 
Now, we've read a few verses already of, of Mary. And Mary had a very important role to play in the birth of Jesus. She was the one who was responsible for delivering him into the world. But nine months before, she was visited by this angel who told her all of the things that were going to happen to her. And there was a sense in which she had to make a choice. Was she going to run away? Was she going to ignore all the things that were told to her? Or would she be willing to submit to that call that God had given her? So Mary, this is Christmas. And this is the role you will play in this Christmas story. And throughout all of history, it will be remembered. And what have you done? And Mary responds with the words of what is often called the Magnificat. The words we read just a moment ago, a beautiful poem or hymn of praise to God, acknowledging all that he has done for her, acknowledging all that he is to her and is to his people. And it is a clear and perfect expression of her willingness to serve God. In a word, Mary magnifies God. You see that right at the beginning of the Magnificat in verse 46. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord. Well, what do we mean by that? Well, you know how a magnifying glass magnifies things. You get something very small, maybe an ant or something like that, and you get a magnifying glass to it, and you, you, you zoom it in, and it, it's much, much bigger, and you can see it in far more detail. But these are small things that you get a magnifying glass on. These are tiny things, and it's not the case that God needs magnifying in the same way. He's bigger and far greater and far better than we can ever imagine. So in this sense, to magnify doesn't mean to make something small bigger. It means to declare his already existent greatness. It is to declare, if you want it really simply, to magnify God means to declare the bigness of God. I don't know if that's grammatically correct, but it's to declare the bigness of God. If you want it really straightforwardly, that's what Mary does. And that's what we are all to do, to make known just how big and just how great and just how powerful and just how mighty and just how wonderful and perfect this God really is. And there's a number of ways in which Mary does this. And I want us to very briefly just look at three this morning. Three ways in which Mary magnifies God. First of all, we see that Mary recognises God's favour. She worships God's character. And finally, she trusts in God's mercy. So Mary, this is Christmas. What have you done? She recognises God's favour firstly and we see this first of all actually all the way back when the angel has visited her that she is highlighted highlighted as a favoured one the angel comes to greet her verse 28 of luke chapter 1 and we see having come in the angel said to her rejoice highly favoured one the lord is with you blessed are you among women She's identified very early on in this visit that she receives from an angel as special and favoured by God. But Mary isn't uh, infallible. Mary isn't herself perfect. She's looked on in a very special way by God, but she herself was also in need of God's mercy. She herself was also in need of God's 
forgiveness. And therefore she recognises just how greatly God has favoured her. And although she does this, perhaps understandably, first of all, she's bewildered and confused and let's face it, probably a little bit scared. If someone came walking into you or you were going about your business and said this, you would be a little bit concerned. You see that in verse 29. But when she saw him, that's the angel, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. She was confused, a little bit questioning, maybe a little bit, uh, a, a little bit cynical about what sort of greeting this might be. But Mary discerns. She tries to work out in her head, not just as the visit is received, but afterwards she works it out. What sort of greeting is this? And how does she do that? She uses God's word. You see, the character of Mary is someone who knew her Bible really well. Someone who really knew her stuff when it came to what the Old Testament has to say. She used God's word and then she goes and visits Elizabeth. She goes to visit her cousin and you see lots of extraordinary things happening in the nativity story. But this one is perhaps something that's maybe a little bit more ordinary. I've never been pregnant, obviously, um, but you'll get in a... You, you know that when someone is pregnant, they'll often share notes and compare notes with somebody else who is expecting. Uh, and they'll go and visit them and maybe talk about what pregnancy is like. Maybe after they've had the baby, they'll keep that conversation going. And then you'll have that moment where they bring the baby into the office to show everyone at work. And all the mothers gather around and go, oh, isn't it lovely? And all the men are sort of standing there going, oh, it's yes, it's... Uh, Definitely a baby, um, but, uh, uh, but you, you have that sort of moment where people sort of get together and they sort of get to know each other and share in this common bond they have. But it's very likely that not only would have Elizabeth and Mary compared notes about what it's like to be pregnant, but they would have probably read their Bibles together and seen that what the angel said is true. They look back at all of those prophecies from Isaiah and Micah and from other places in, in the Old Testament and they see, hang on a minute. This is true. A virgin will conceive and bear a child. This is true and it's happening to me. And then you see in our Magnificat, that great hymn of praise to God that Mary says, pretty much every line, in fact, every line is a quotation from the Old Testament. She quotes from the scriptures in every single line of her little poem. She quotes and makes references to passages in Genesis Deuteronomy, 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, Job, the Psalms, Isaiah, Ezekiel, Micah, Habakkuk, and I've run out of fingers, Zephaniah. I'll say that again very quickly just in case you want to note it down. She quotes from Genesis, Deuteronomy, 1 and 2 Samuel, Job, the Psalms, Isaiah, Ezekiel, Micah, Habakkuk, and Zephaniah. She connects all of these passages in the Old Testament to her present situation. And that's what we are to do in our lives. When, whatever situation we're going through, we are to look at it through the lens of the word of God and see what does this say about my situation. That's what she does. But this is the word of God. This is not just any old book. This is not just some sort of book that we put on the shelf and collect dust. No, this is something that we are to treasure and to love and to get to know and become familiar with. Think about all the Christmas cards and presents you've got this year, and I hope you've got lots of them. But imagine if you never bothered to acknowledge a single one of them. Imagine if you never acknowledged a single gift that you got or a single card that you got. You'd probably get much less next Christmas. 
And yet in the Bible we are given 66 books and 66 letters from God. And yet how many of us ignore them? How many of us turn away from them? How many of us don't use it? You see, in the Bible we are given the most important information in the world. So read it. Get to know it. Understand it. Not just to grow your head knowledge, but to fall in love with the character at the very centre of it. This Jesus, this wonderful saviour. Become familiar with it and in it you will see it has the words of eternal life. You read it with a willing and ready heart and you will find in it a treasure all divine for your heart and for your soul. You see, that's something that Mary herself did. If you flick over a page uh, to chapter 2 and verse 19, the baby is now born and all of these people are coming to worship this baby. And again, Mary perhaps can't understand everything that's going on. She's not perfect. She's not infallible. And we read in chapter 2 and verse 19, but Mary, thinking about all of these things that happened to her, Mary kept all these things and pondered them or treasured them in her heart. These things, these realities of what God has done to her, or the realities of what is happening in her life, constantly cycling around in her head. She didn't understand it all. She perhaps found it under, overwhelming. But the treasures that the truth had been delivered to her in her heart, she recognises this has come from God. And so I must value it and love it because somebody has looked on me with love. Somebody so great and so mighty has loved someone as insignificant as me. And so that's what I want us to think about is Mary's humble condition. You might want to note that down. Mary's humble condition. You see that in verse 48 of the Magnificat. For he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. The lowly state. This is an insignificant person uh, by, by comparison of, of all the other people you might see in that time. This is somebody who maybe is not so lovable and yet... He has regarded her. God has considered her. And you see, our condition is exactly the same. We have a humble condition. We have a condition which is so stained by something the Bible calls sin. And this is not just doing some wrong things. This is a total rejection of God. This is a hatred of God, in fact. You might feel like you're not a Christian today and you might say, well, I don't hate God. I'm just indifferent to God. I don't mind God. I love people who are religious. I love Christians, but I'm just indifferent to it all. I don't think I believe it. Well, I'm afraid to say that's not a valid position. You must come to a decision on this. And we see that God has reached out his hand to you and said, though you are a sinner, though you are a, a rebel against God, I want you. I regard you. I love you you and then mary recognizes her own lowly condition and then he goes but he talking about god has noticed me god has regarded me he's noticed me and perhaps the best example of this is when you're younger and maybe it's on the school playground or maybe you're at secondary school or at some other place where there's people your age and for the very first time, there's a particular boy or girl who attracts your attention. 
and you're desperate to get their attention. You're desperate uh, to, to, to see them or, or, or to sit next to them in class. Or you're desperate uh, to, to get their attention when walking home from school. And then one day you realise, he noticed me. She noticed me. And it seems like they want to talk to me and get to know me. And that might be an experience that's, that's very familiar to us. It might be something that's a bit more vague, a vague memory. But he noticed me. And you remember that feeling. And then if you get that feeling and multiply it by a million, you begin to get an understanding of what it's like to realise God has noticed you. And he's noticed me. And he wants to get to know you. He wants you to talk to him. He wants you to love him. He wants you to become closer to him so that he can love you and care for you and delight in you. If only you will come to him. Would you come to him this morning? Would you find that in him there is a treasure that you cannot find anywhere else? Would you find that in him there is a delight and a pleasure that you can't find in anything else that this world offers? Would you see that he has richly blessed you with every blessing from above? Would you see that he has loved you so much that he's come to visit us on this earth and he's come to live for you and he's come to die for you and even now he's in heaven thinking and praying for you? Would you come to him? Would you come to him and see how truly blessed by God you are? You've heard his message of freedom this very day. And as Mary does, she recognises just how blessed she is. She was most favoured among women to carry out this unique responsibility. So there's a sense in which the blessing that she recognises there in verse 48, where she says, For behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed. There's a sense in which that is unique to Mary. But there's another sense in which it is also a shared blessing that you and I may come to receive. A blessing of being in God's presence forever. A blessing of being in his presence with Jesus forever. A blessing of knowing him while he is still on earth. So that we don't have to worry. We don't have to go through pain and trial without any hope. We don't grieve and mourn without hope. Because we know that one day if we love him, that we will go to be with him. You see, this is a perfect God, a holy and righteous God who calls us in. There was nothing in us that could be desired and yet he calls us in. And that I, that's why I want us to notice that the second way in which Mary responds to our question, the second way Mary magnifies God is by worshipping his character. She recognises God's favour and she worships God's character. Look at verse 49. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. He has done great things for me. I want you to notice the very personal nature of the great things that God has done for us. The very personal application that there is to us at the birth of Jesus. You see, there's a, there's a real and true sense that in when, when, when that angel came to visit Mary, there was a very real sense in which as he did that, he was thinking of you. And he was thinking of me. When this child was born in a manger and God looked down upon his son, now taking on the form of flesh, he was thinking of you. 
Because this baby was here for me and is offered to you. And there are many great things that God has done for us. He provides for us daily. He gives us the food and drink that we have. He gives us the roof over our heads. But the greatest demonstration of his love, the greatest demonstration of his bigness, is seen in his coming to earth and becoming like us. This is the crazy concept that Jesus became a human and was truly and completely human, while at the very same time, truly and completely God. Two distinct natures in one person. Confusing, but it's, it's easy at the same time. But for a little while, this Jesus, who received all the worship of heaven, came to this dark and broken and miserable world to sleep beneath the stars that he had made. And that's very much like our world today, isn't it? Dark, miserable, not much hope. You just have to turn on the news and uh, you'll be pretty uh, depressed quite quickly. And what we see when we look at our, our television screens, what we see when we read the news, is the consequences of sin, the darkness of sin, the reality of what it means to have turned away from God. And that is why Jesus came. This is why we celebrate his birth at Christmas, that he came and grew up and on a cruel wooden cross, he went and suffered and bled and died to shine a light into the world. How on earth can that be that someone dying could show a light into the world? But this is a light that says that darkness in your life is never greater than him. This is a light that shows us the misery and suffering that we can see in this life as a result of our sin can be dealt with. This is a light that says that the pain and the trial and the difficulty that you experience today is nothing compared to the magnitude and the grandeur of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is a light that declares on that cross as Jesus' arms were stretched out wide, suffering and dying, thinking of me and you and taking on the weight of God's anger at sin. He is declaring on that cross, holy Holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And that's what Mary recognises also, again in verse 49. He who is mighty has done great things for me. It's personal. And now talking about him, holy is his name. Holy is his name. You see, this is the most important thing that you need to understand about God. He is a holy God. It's the most important part of his character. Mary highlights it, honours it, and reveres the holiness of God. What does it mean to be holy? Well, very simply, it means to be a cut above. It means to be better. It means to be higher. It means to be set apart from us. You see, God isn't like us. This is why the incarnation, that word meaning that Jesus coming to earth, is so special because God in his very nature is so different from us. He's so special. He's so wonderful. And yet he comes to be with us. You see it time and time again throughout the Bible. It's the only attribute of God that is repeated three times. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And the whole world is full of his glory. Even now. He is perfect, he is wonderful, he has never done anything wrong, he has never put a foot wrong and cannot do any wrong. 
And don't you see how, how therefore it is wonderful that this holy, holy, holy God would come to be with us, would notice us, would be himself God with us. And how marvellous and how wonderful it is that in this perfect God we have a great and delightful mercy that we can lean on and rest in. So I want us to notice thirdly and finally before we close that Mary magnifies God and answers our question, what have you done with Christmas? By trusting in God's mercy. Look firstly at verse 50. And his mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. And then in verse 54, he has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. Why is Mary so keen to talk about mercy? Because she recognised her own need for forgiveness. She recognised her own need to be saved from her sins. She knew, to quote another Christmas song, that the child that she delivered would soon deliver her. She didn't selfishly hold on to this boy. She didn't run away from the reality of who he is and who he was, but she simply trusted in what he had come to do for her. And you too also need to come to that realisation that this Jesus came to save sinners. You see, and I don't want to be Mr Scrooge here, but it's very possible in a room of this number uh, and a room with this number of people in it that this could be the last ever Christmas service that you attend here at Belvedere. And not because you've decided to go somewhere else or because you've moved away, because, but because sadly 2024 will be your last year on earth. And I'm not just talking about those of you who are older, I'm talking about those of you who are younger as well. There is nothing therefore more urgent than to get this one right. Because the second you breathe your last, you will be ushered into his presence and you will have to answer that question. This is Christ and what have you done with Jesus? There is nothing more urgent, there is nothing more important than to get this right. And there was a man called Paul who hated Jesus, who killed people who loved Jesus, who did everything he could to stop the name of Jesus being spread. And then one day God showed up and one day God showed himself to this man called Paul. And Paul later acknowledges this. He says, I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor and an insolent man. I was a horrible man, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. And then he says, one of the most glorious verses in the Bible, this saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the chief. He identifies himself as the very worst of sinners. He identifies himself as one of the very worst people on earth. And yet he sees Christ's ultimate purpose for coming into the world is to save <coughs> sinners. Mary recognises that. She realises that Christ's purpose was not just here to live a good life and a, a righteous life, but it was here to, he was here to save her and to save you and to save me. And you may wonder, well, what do I have to do? Surely I've got to bring something to him. What can I give him? 
Poor as I am, if I were a shepherd, I would bring a lamb. If I were a wise man, I would do my part. Yet what can I give him? You should give him your heart. You should simply trust in him. So many of us are still clinging on to what we can bring. Maybe I'll polish myself up first. Maybe I'll clean myself up and get right with God in that way. So many of us maybe are worried about the consequences of what coming to Jesus might look like. I might have to give up those things in my life that I really like. I might not be able to spend time with these people anymore. I might not be able to do all of the fun stuff that other people I know are doing. But in him, you find something far better. So trust him. Others of you may be wondering, well, I don't know how to. I want to trust him, but I can't. Well, know what his word says, that those who call upon him truly will be saved. He will rescue you to the uttermost. Now, some of you know this already, but I recently came back from a, from a holiday or a vacation in New York. I went to, a, went to America, and I, while I was there, I was uh, a bit of a thrill seeker, so I went to a place called The Edge. And this is a, a, a tower, I think it's the sixth highest uh, building in America, right over the top uh, of Manhattan. And it's 1,100 feet in the air, and there's this tiny little triangular platform with glass over the top of it. So when you stand over it, you are looking down, and literally all you can see is the ground 1,100 feet below you. And uh, there were some other British people there. I was queuing up. By the time I got there, I was jumping up and down on the platform and seeing how far I could test it. Uh, But there was one other guy. There's one other English guy. And he gets to the edge of the platform. He sort of looks over it, and the guy sort of, uh, the the, the steward, if you like, sort of called him over, and he looked down and just went, nah, you know what, I'm all right. (laughs) (laughs) And and a member member of staff said to him, now, sir, I'm not going to do the American accent. Sir, this little small deck is comprised of 70 different glass panels sandwiched together. Each glass panel is over two inches thick, and it is all supported by a platform built in over, with over 100,000 pounds of steel. This platform cannot break. But I can only prove that to you if you trust that it can support you and step out onto the glass. Now let me tell you, this Jesus, humbly born in a stable, but mighty in his saving power, cannot break so step out and trust him this christmas and he will save you in the most mighty of ways come to him without delay recognize your need of him recognize how desperately far away you have fallen from him and see that this god is perfect and holy and yet he has mercy and forgiveness by dying for you on a cross And on that cross, oh, that wonderful cross, you can say it is where the Prince of Glory died, yes. But it's also where I died to sin and now am able to live a new life with him. And Mary herself is able to testify to this. She not only witnessed Jesus dying on a cross, but she saw him resurrected, coming back from the dead, defeating death once and for all. And saying that he has power over death. He has victory over death. So that we can say, thine be the glory, risen, conquering son. Death has lost its sting. And he promises now to come back. 
and there will be a great day of glory where he comes back and claims all that is his own. And if you are a Christian, if you love him, if you trust in him, he will claim you and he will claim me. You see, the story of Christmas is so simple. Jesus came to live and show the way. He died to rescue and died to save. He rose to vindicate and to conquer. He ascended, went back up into heaven to be praised and to be trusted. And he will come back in glory and in judgment. And this is the very heart of Christmas, is that he can get you ready for that day. If only you will trust him. He can get you ready to answer that question. This is Christmas. And what have you done? And if you come to him today, truly, this Christmas will be the very happiest of Christmases for you. So this is Christmas. What have you done? Amen. Well, at Christmas, one of the things that we don't get to do very often is just to pause and reflect on the year pause and reflect on the things that Jesus has done for us I'm going to suggest we do that just for a moment we're going to pause and then I'll pray and then we're going to stand and rejoice by singing our final hymn let's just bow our heads in a time of quiet reflection Many people here today have come from different experiences. Maybe you've come to church for the first time. Maybe it's the case you've come many, many, many times, but you've never reached out to God. We're going to do that now in prayer, and I plead with you, make this prayer yours. Let's pray. Our Father God, we cry out to you and say, Lord Jesus Christ, we need you. Open our eyes, we pray, to just how much we need you. Would we realise how precious the Lord Jesus Christ truly is? Lord, we say to you now, the things of this earth are nothing compared to him. Lord God, I thank you for the way in which you have dealt with our lives. And Lord, we now pray that you would come and dwell in our hearts. You would forgive us of every sin. And that we would know that joy of having sins forgiven. Lord, what as yet we are not we pray that you would continue to make us we pray that what we yet do not know that you would show us and we pray that you would remind us of the glorious day that is awaiting those who trust him lord we trust him we pray this now in jesus name amen Amen. well we're going to stand and sing our final hymn oh come all ye faithful joyful and triumphant And I want you to think in particular of that verse 4. Yea, Lord, we greet thee, born this happy morning. Jesus, to thee be glory given. Do you stand as we worship God? Sorry, I've I've completely misread that. Yeah. um, Angels from the realms of glory is the one I picked. Very well spotted. 
It's just keeping you on your toes. I was keeping you on your toes, you see. Angels from the realms of glory. There was a reason I picked this, and it was because of, it was the final verse, so I've got that bit right. Sinners wrung with true repentance, doomed for guilt to endless pains. Justice now revokes your sentence. That justice we see on the cross of Calvary, that's the justice that takes your sentence away from you. 